you might like to take up your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, it's the first book of the Bible. Um, and if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 13. Okay, and we're reading from verse 9. When the men got up to leave... Sorry, verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home.
So as Dale mentioned, today we are commencing a series called Journey with God in Prayer. And, you know, I personally want to grow more in prayer. I want to grow deep in prayer. I want to know God in prayer. And so we are inviting you as um, a body together that we would go on this journey uh, encountering God. Uh, each week we're going to actually um, in our sermons be studying a different character, a man or a woman uh, of the Bible who is a prayer. And the, the passage that we have this morning from Genesis 18 is actually the first substantial prayer recorded in the Bible. It's the first one that we find. And um, so I'm going to pray with you as we uh, open it up together and may the Lord teach us through, something through it. Lord, we are asking because we're, we're needy. We're like blank sheets of paper and we need you to get your pen out and write truth uh, on our hearts so that we might know it. And so would you please, Lord, uh, open up our hearts and our lives that we might know you, that we might uh, love you and serve you. Lord, just asking that uh, you would help me as uh, the preacher to say what is true. Uh, and protect me from error, and that each one of us, Lord, um, would be hearing uh, truth from your, uh, from your own word, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, just beforehand in Genesis 18, three men uh, have visited Abraham. And we're not totally sure how to understand these three men, but it seems like two of them are angelic figures and one of them is the Lord himself. And the Lord has just promised Abraham the deepest desire of his heart, that he would have a son. And he said, and when you have a son, you're going to call him Isaac. And then we read in Genesis 18, verse 16, when the men, these three men, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walking along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? God's got on his heart something very serious that he's about to do. And what God does in his secret counsels are often hidden from human beings, often hidden. But God here says, we're not going to hide this from Abraham. No, I'm going to bring Abraham into my confidence. I'm going to tell him my plans. He's already told him that he's going to bless him and all the nations of the earth are going to be, there's these blessings just pouring out. But this is something really terrible. It's not for blessings. It's the destruction of, the, of a town that's wicked and it's really, really, really bad. And he tells Abraham, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that their, and their sin is so grievous that I'm going to go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. And if not, I will know. The sin of Sodom is really bad, like it's bad. And do you know in the Bible, uh, 
very clear in the Bible that God has got a plan to save but he's also prepared to destroy, destroy the wicked. Yes, he's got beautiful plans filled with grace and hope and the Bible is totally filled with it. It's the whole plan of the Bible is a plan of salvation and yet he is a God that destroys the wicked. And do you know, this really worries me. It worries me. It worries me. That the Lord is someone that destroys the wicked. And I even think of the city in which we live. It troubles me. I don't think God's going to destroy the city of Wagga with fire, but it really burdens me and scares me that what about people that just totally ignore God and there's many, there's many burdens my heart all through the Bible whether it's Cain and Abel or whether it's here in Genesis 18 or whether it's the end of Revelation it's a dividing the sheep and the goats (coughs) two categories, not more just two categories When I'm on the farm, we have a drafting race and the sheep run towards you and you've got a gate and you swing it. One sheep goes this way, another sheep goes that way. You swing it and you're dividing. And, and, And Jesus says, Jesus says, at the end of time, he will come and all his holy angels with him and he will separate the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And here is a a picture of, or a moment in history of, of destruction, where God is planning destruction because the people are so wicked. And God is powerful. He's powerful enough to bless and he's powerful enough to destroy. But notice something very, very important here. God does not just do things... You know how we lose our temper and we go and do something stupid? God does not do that. Listen, it says, God... He says in verse 21, I'm going to go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. In other words, I'm going to go and go down and collect all the evidence. I'm going to go through a judicial process and I will have good reason. When I act in my power and in my authority, it will not be because I didn't understand. I will understand totally. And then we come to this prayer. The men turned away towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. So get this picture in your head. Now Abraham standing before the Lord. Just him and the Lord. No one else. And something amazing happens. It says here, and Abraham approached him. Hmm. Wow. Abraham took some steps towards him. I don't know whether you've ever had a job like I have 
where you've had a boss over you and you see what the boss is doing and you think, that is wrong. The sh boss shouldn't be doing that. He or she shouldn't be just doing that. But you think, well, this is my irresponsibility. I'll just keep my head down and I just won't say anything. I'll just do my stuff even though I just disagree <laughs> with what's going on. And, and you might have thought that Abraham, of all people standing before the God of heaven, would say, well, God, <laughs> you're in charge here. I'm not going to say a thing. I'm just going to just do my little thing. But that's not what happens here. Something extraordinary happens. Abraham steps up to God. He approaches. He draws near to God. Amazing. And he blurts out what's on his heart. And this is what's on his heart. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50? What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Do you see what's burdening uh, Abraham's heart? He's worried. He's deeply, deeply burdened about the destruction. He knows that in this city, the righteous and the, and the wicked are mingled together. And he, he goes to God and says, but... But what if there's 50 righteous people there? And then the famous statement that Abraham makes, he says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And Abraham has this deep conviction that the judge of the earth, the one that judges all, he is true. He is just. Whatever he does will be right. Do you sometimes worry about heaven and hell and how it's all going to work out? I'll tell you my refuge. It's this, that the judge of the earth will do right. At the end of all time, no one will be able to accuse him and say you did wrong. No one. He is a righteous one. He's the one who does right. And the Lord responds, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. There's mercy. There's mercy in God. It was what Abraham longed to hear. I will not destroy it if there's 50. But something else ha happens in Abraham. It's not enough for him. And Abraham spoke again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing and dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? <laughs> I, sh I should have, 50 was too many. I should have come down by five. Lord, what if there's five less? If I find 45 people there, he says, God says, I will not destroy. God gives the, disc the concession. Once again, 
Abraham spoke to him, what if there are only 40 found there? And he said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. God gives the concession. But then Abraham speaks again, don't be angry. Please, Lord, don't be angry. But let me speak. What if there's only 30? And God says, for 30, I will not destroy. Now I've been so bold to the Lord. What if only 20 can be found there? For the sake of 20, I will not destroy. May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. The Lord left. And it says here, and Abraham returned home. So I want to ask three questions with you about this passage of scripture. The first one is, why did Abraham pray? The second one is, how did he pray? And the third one is, what is our power and enabling for prayer? So here's the first one. Why, why did Abraham pray? You know, firstly, we could say the reason Abraham prayed is because God came to him and opened the door. God says, will I hide from Abraham? And the answer is no, I'm going to include Abraham in my counsel. And so that opened the door for Abraham to pray. Do you remember in John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know what the, father, what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. And God, the reason Abraham prays, the first reason is that God includes him, opens, opens the door for him to include him in his counsel. Do you know... Our communion with God, mine and yours, is through word and prayer. God speaks and we pray. And here we have the example. God speaks to Abraham and Abraham prays. He draws near to God. But the second reason that Abraham prays is that the people were perishing and he was burdened, like really burdened in his heart. And he approached God. Abraham had received uh, the blessing of, of promise. But his concern is for others. His concern is for Sodom and the righteous people in Sodom. And so burdened is he that he does a very dangerous thing. He steps up to God. He steps into God's presence. He approaches him. Someone else might have said, yes, God is going to burn them. He's going to smash them. I'm so thrilled, those, those little such and such a people. But, but Abraham's heart was so far from that. He's so far from that. His heart was, Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm worried. What if there's righteous people there? And the third reason 
why Abraham prayed is that Abraham prayed because he believed God was good. You know, if, if he thought God was just some sort of nasty piece of work and that was going to just do whatever he likes and he was a, a rough, he, he never would have stepped in. <laughs> but he believed you are the judge of all the, right, the earth and you will do right and I'm stepping in and I'm praying because you, God, are good. You're good. And that's why he's praying. He's saying, God, you will not overlook what's right. You will not violate your character. You are a just God. And I'm stepping in because I believe that you are good. So that's the first one. Why did he pray? He prayed because God opened the door to him. He prayed because he was burdened about the perishing. And he prayed because he believed God was good. But secondly, how did Abraham pray? Well, he prayed very boldly. That word, I believe the commentators told me, that that word, when it says that he approached God, it has the connotations of a defence lawyer. He, he, he's, he's approaching God to, to present a case, to present a case, and, and he's very bold. He comes to God. Can you do, imagine doing that? To the God of all the earth, who's got the power to destroy whoever he wants, and yet you step up to him. It's incredibly bold. In the Old Testament, with the priests, a priest was someone who stood as a bridge between God Almighty and his holiness and the people in all their sin. And the, the priest stands there often with blood, and stands in between God and says, God, please accept these people. <laughs> please, please. And Abraham is behaving as a priest here. He's standing in and he's saying, Lord, Lord, will you please? Again and again, he goes back and back with incredible boldness. But the second thing about Abraham's prayer is it's how humble it is. You wouldn't think that humility and boldness would go together, would you? But here is a humble prayer. Because he says, Lord, I know that I'm just dust and ashes. In other words, I know that there's a massive gap between who you are in all your majesty and glory and power and holy. I know that. And I'm just dust and ashes. I'm nothing. So it's very humble and he, and he comes to God and he says, please don't be angry. I've spoken once, I'm going to speak one more time. Please, Lord, don't be angry. So there's this incredible boldness but incredible humility and they're both together. They're both together. The third thing we can say about how did Abraham pray. He prayed with boldness, number one. He prayed with humility, number two. But he prayed with love, number three. What do I mean? He was praying for a Canaanite city. It wasn't his own people. It wasn't his own people. And yet he had received all the promises. He's, he's got all these promises made by God. It's all sealed and secure. They're coming. And you might have thought to himself, he might have thought to himself, I'm fine. I don't care what God does to those little wretches over there. I have got my own little patch sorted out. And this is a great danger for us. I tell you, this is a huge danger for us. 
I can think to myself, I've got my own house sorted out, I've got my own bank account sorted out, I've got my farm, I've got my friends, I've got my stuff, and all I've got, my car, and I'm right. I don't really care what happens to anyone else. I don't care. I've just got, God, as long as you take care of me and I've got all my promises, I'm fine. But that was not Abraham's heart at all. He had it all, but he was burdened by a people that was not his own people. And he was doing the dangerous thing of stepping into the presence of God and pleading for a people. Lot was in that city, his nephew, and I'm sure he was concerned about him, but Lot is not even mentioned in this prayer. The way Abraham prayed was boldly, with humility and incredible love. Lastly, I just want to ask this question. What is our power and enabling for prayer? Because I want to know what it is to pray. I want us to all grow in prayer. And um, so what is our... Because this is too high for us, is it not? What's our power and enabling for prayer? It was dawning on Abraham in this prayer, the character of God. It was just dawning on him. Because he goes to God and says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous... Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And God says, no, I won't. And he says, oh, you're a God that loves righteousness. And, and, and so he says, well, what if it's 40? And, and God says, no, I won't. And he says, oh, it's dawning on me who the sort of God you are. You are a God that loves righteousness. In actual fact, you're prepared to save the righteous and save the whole city Save the many for the sake of the few. You're a God that's put such a premium on righteousness. You, trust, you, you just treasure righteousness so highly that, that, you, that you won't even... You'll spare the whole city because you, try, you love righteousness that much. And it's dawning on Abraham, this is the God. This is the God. This is the God to whom we come. A God of mercy. Abraham was like a priest, but he points ultimately to the true priest, which is Christ. Do you remember what it says in Luke 23? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not want to know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Listen to Jesus' prayer. On the cross, bleeding and dying, and this is his extraordinary prayer. 
Father, forgive them. Do not destroy them. Do not sweep them away. Lord, forgive them. Jesus is the ultimate priest, you see. Jesus, Abraham was receiving blessings. Jesus was receiving a curse on the cross. And in his pain and in his suffering, he's crying out, Father, will you forgive them? Will you not cast them away? Don't destroy them, Lord. Do you see that Jesus is praying? Lord, don't sweep them away. Don't destroy them. And there's something else here. Abraham was asking God to save the righteous. But Jesus was asking God to save the wicked. The wicked. Those that were doing the worst thing they could possibly do. Crucify the Son of God. Is there something worse than that? And Jesus is saying, Lord, forgive them. In the scriptures, the scriptures teach that we are, that yes, that Abraham is a kind of priest, and yes, that Jesus is the ultimate priest, but that we who have been touched by the gospel are to be priests. I don't know whether you know that or not. Maybe you come from another denominational background and you that's crazy to you. But that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says that he has made us a kingdom, priests to his God. We are to be priests. We are to be the ones that are coming to God and saying, Lord, we're praying. He's opened his counsel to us and it is on our hearts now. We're to be the ones that are in prayer and saying, Lord, do you know I don't even understand how God runs the universe but somehow he's including us who he's loved in Christ as prayers to accomplish the advance of his kingdom and we are priests and we're saying Lord what about those that don't know you and don't love you would you please would you please would you please advance your kingdom don't leave them in darkness I've got friends and I bet you do too maybe family and they're in terrible darkness and they're in terrible danger and they're trapped. They're in bondage. They're in chains. And I'm just encouraging you. Don't give up praying. Please don't give up praying. Be God's prayer. Be the one that God uses for the establishment and the advance of his kingdom so that people will not be swept away. Somehow God uses the prayers of his people in glorious power for the advance of his kingdom so that many would be swept into his kingdom and into light. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Do you know, 10 people can be a blessing to a city. You might say we're small. You might say we're just little. <laughs> but God is calling us. Maybe in your secret prayers that no one ever knows about. But we're to be a people that pray for the advance of the kingdom and for Christ to bring many into salvation. Let me pray. Lord, I'm praying with these brothers and sisters. Lord, we have been touched. We've been touched by the gospel of Christ and now we're asking you to so work by your spirit in our hearts 
and I'm praying it for myself and I'm praying it for these brothers and sisters that you would teach us, Lord, how to pray for your kingdom to come, for many to come into your kingdom and not stay out into the kingdom of darkness. Lord, for your name to be greatly loved and hallowed. Lord, please help us, we pray in Jesus' name.